welcome to Bridgerton Fancast, a fan-created podcast about Netflix's biggest show, Bridgerton, and we're its hosts. I'm Michelle. I live in the States. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Musings. And my name's Rita. I live in England, and I'm at Rita Bites on Instagram and Twitter. And welcome to our Season 1 Roundup. This week's podcast is going to be our last for a little while, but before we go, we wanted to have a last hurrah for season one. It was a wild ride, and there is so much yet to discuss. But before we begin, we have to get the disclaimers out of the way. Yes. This podcast will feature graphic discussions of sex and sexual assault. This can be uncomfortable listening for some people, so make sure you're in a position to listen to this podcast without upsetting anyone. Yes. Okay. So let's start off with a very quick recap of the season. (laughs) So episode one, Daphne debuts into society and is quickly sabotaged by a new scandal sheet written by the mysterious Lady Whistledown. Simon Bassett becomes the new Duke of Hastings following his father's death. Lady Featherington discovers that a Marina Thompson, a distant cousin of her children, under her supervision for the season, is pregnant. Anthony breaks up with his mistress, and Simon and Daphne agree to pretend to court so that Daphne will enjoy the attention of more suitors other than the despicable Lord Burbrook, while Simon will have respite from ambitious young ladies and their mothers. Episode 2. Flashbacks reveal Simon's tragic childhood, dead mother, stutter, and a father who pretended he was dead rather than accept his flaws. Awesome. On his father's deathbed, Simon vows he will never sire an heir. Marina shares with Penelope that her child was conceived in love with a man named Sir George Crane, who is fighting in Spain. (laughs) That rhymes, I'm sorry. That rhymes! Oh my god. Anyway, Simon and Daphne's ruse works perfectly, and Anthony, learning that Lord Burbrook tried to assault Daphne, cancels their engagement. Burbrook then threatens to ruin her if she doesn't marry him. Violet turns the tables on him by spreading a scandal about him that makes its way into Lady Whistledown. Episode 3. Daphne turns down multiple proposals to spend more time with Simon. Lady Featherington tries to match Marina again, but she waits for George to write back. She being Marina, waiting for George to write back. Meanwhile, uh, Simon teaches Daphne about masturbation. (laughs) As you do. Um, Uh, The Queen schemes to match Daphne with her nephew, Prince Friedrich of Prussia. Lady Danbury tells Simon that he needs to propose to Daphne or step aside to make way for the superior match. Even though we know it's not superior, but we've talked about that before. Simon reluctantly calls off the ruse with Daphne. Sir George writes to Marina that there was nothing between them, but it is revealed that the letter was faked by Lady Featherington. Daphne embraces the prince's attention. Episode 4. Prince Friedrich invites Daphne to the palace and gifts her a beautiful necklace. Eloise decides she will find out Lady Whistledown's identity. At a sumptuous ball, Friedrich prepares to propose, but Daphne flees to the garden, followed shortly by Simon, and the two kiss passionately. 
Anthony interrupts and demands that Simon marry Daphne. Simon refuses and Anthony challenges him to a duel at dawn. Lady Featherington discovers the extent of her husband's gambling debts. Daphne realises that Cressida Coper, her rival for Friedrich's affections, witnessed what happened in the garden and races to stop the duel. Simon tells her that he cannot marry her because he cannot provide her with children. Weighing her options, Daphne firmly declares they will marry. Episode 5. Daphne and Simon try to acquire an expedited marriage license, but he refuses at the behest of the Queen. Benedict attends a party at the invitation of Sir Henry Granville. Lady Featherington intends for Marina to marry Lord Rutledge, but Marina begs her for a chance to ensnare Colin instead. Simon and Daphne appeal to the Queen to allow for an early wedding, and moved by Simon's impassioned please, the Queen agrees. Simon and Daphne are married. At the wedding reception, Marina gets a proposal from Colin. The Queen takes interest in Eloise's investigation. Violet gives Daphne a sex talk lacking in any detail, and that night, Salmon... Salmon? (laughs) (laughs) Simon and Daphne confess their love for each other and have sex. Simon pulls out. I loved writing this, by the way. I I bet you did. Episode 6. The Duke and Duchess arrive at Cliveden for their honeymoon, and they bang all over the estate. (laughs) Colin announces his engagement to Marina, much to his family's dismay. Penelope tries to ruin the engagement by confiding in Colin that Marina is in love with another man. Colin suggests he and Marina marry sooner than their family's desire by travelling to Scotland. Cliveden's housekeeper reveals more about Simon's upbringing to Daphne. Penelope discovers that George's later was faked, but Marina chooses to move on. Daphne, with the help of her lady's maid, realises that Simon is purposefully trying not to have children and assaults him as a way of confronting him. Lady Whistledown publishes Marina's secret. Episode 7. Simon and Daphne's dispute continues and Daphne decides to return to London after Lady Whistledown's latest publication surfaces. Simon threatens to live separate lives if Daphne is not with child. The Queen is impatient with Eloise's progress in uncovering Lady Whistledown. She throws the Featheringtons out of her luncheon over Marina's scandal. Lady Danbury invites Daphne to a lively party with the married women of the ton, where Daphne flexes her new power to locate Sir George Crane. To settle his debts, Lord Featherington approaches Will to convince him to throw his next fight. Anthony and Simon come to blows. Eloise realizes that Madame Delacroix is the most likely person to be Lady Whistledown. Marina attempts to abort her pregnancy. Daphne learns that she is not pregnant. Episode 8. George Crane's brother, Sir Philip Crane, arrives with the news that George died in battle and offers to marry Marina, who agrees when she realises her abortion attempt spectacularly failed. Daphne finds the letter Simon wrote to his father and Lady Danbury fills in some blanks. Daphne begins to make amends with Simon, who is reconsidering what he wants after spending time with Daphne's younger siblings. Anthony reunites with Sienna (laughs) and invites her to Daphne and Simon's ball. Will throws the fight and receives his winnings from Baron Featherington, who is murdered by his associates. (laughs) Before Penelope can profess her love for him, Colin announces he's leaving for his tour immediately. The Queen sends her agents to capture Lady Whistledown, but Eloise is able to tip her off. Sienna resolutely tells Anthony to move on. 
we all applaud. Yes. <laughs> Simon and Daphne reconcile. Anthony announces that he will find a wife without love. Eloise realises that Genevieve is not Lady Whistledown. She is revealed to be Penelope. (laughs) And then a flash forward question mark shows the birth of Daphne and Simon's first child, who is a son. (laughs) Question mark. Yeah. Still Mm -hmm. trying to work that one out. What is the timeline (laughs) for season two, everyone? Alrighty then, um, let's hit the storylines. Uh, Simon and Daphne. Okay, so we obviously really enjoyed watching this couple over the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. I think we basically gushed for hours now. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I am not ashamed. Not ashamed. <laughs> this is where I have to reveal to you, Michelle. What? They're not even in my top five Bridgerton couples. <laughs> really? <laughs> they were really a bit weak source compared to some of the others coming up in oh, the show. Oh, man? Yes. And I am forbidden from reading the other books? I mean, <laughs> you can read them. I, you're just forbidden from talking about it. <laughs> I think, like, when you agreed to this, you had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. First of all, I had no idea that there were more than there was more than just one book. Um, uh, duh. And uh, yeah, now, hmm, I see. I've gotten myself into a bit of a pickle. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I mean, like, for me, this has been amazing it's like such a good sign that the show and the actors could make me this gripped by something (laughs) that i thought i was not very interested in (laughs) like that's so funny imagine what they can do with material and characters i actually love it's gonna be insane (laughs) i'm gonna have like a breakdown i know i know well um as a complete and utter novice to the bridgerton world I absolutely adore Simon and Daphne. Um, And if I'm honest, I think part of the reason why I love them so much is because of the casting Uh, and the way that they cast this show with a multicultural cavalcade of actors. uh, I'm still just... Kind of, I'm I'm still just beamy about that, and yeah. uh, you know to see to see an inter an interracial couple. I mean, I I'm old enough to go back to a time where you know uh, interracial marriage was illegal. Um, uh, I I mean I was a a little tiny child um, when the decision came down that um, made it possible for um interracial couples to marry um you know i think i was like four or five but still um you know in my lifetime it was illegal for interracial couples to to marry um and you know during my uh wild and crazy days as a singleton um you know i was it was not uncommon for me to wind up in a relationship where we drew stares as we walked down the street or, um, you know, when I was in college getting called, 
getting called by the Klan because I was dating someone who was white. So this means something to me. Uh, it 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 satisfies a you know something that you know I kind of always knew that I had within me was you know if I'm not able to see it, then what I'm you know is what I'm doing you know wrong, and and society was telling me that I was doing wrong. Um, but Simon and Daphne there on the screen you know showing their their love and affection for one another you know it i it it mean it means something and i i didn't mean to get this deep this soon <laughs> in our uh wrap up episode but i thank you shondaland just thank you shondaland for for making this possible yeah and i think like part of why this show has been as successful as it has i mean 82 million households yeah. in the first month is because of this casting i mm-hmm. think you know hey reggae jean page hosted snl last weekend uh, yeah and he and he killed it he killed it the ratings <laughs> went up yeah you know that um i think this show is gonna be important if we look back on it to be like you know you can have diverse casts in situations that you haven't seen them before like it's not all got to be roots no (laughs) offense at roots but like come on um go team sam safney diamond 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 (laughs) should be Ah, who, who knows i've been fighting with people on the internet about ship names for the past week (laughs) i say fighting we've all just been like pleasantly disagreeing because we can't all pronounce it the same way (laughs) that's awesome um okay so i guess storyline we've got to discuss is anthony um and anthony and sienna (laughs) (laughs) gotta do it you can survive you can survive Uh, so this storyline uh, was real repetitive on rewatch. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, it was actually yeah. harder to follow on re when I was binging it than when we were following it the first time. Mm-hmm. I couldn't keep up with when they were together because they were breaking up but still having sex, and it was all very confusing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess like it was important to delve into what Anthony's priorities are going into season two, and what he wants from a partner. And, you know, he's a dad of seven. <laughs> so um, I guess he's looking for a wife that will support him as the head of this gigantic family. Yeah. And, you know, not grow snarky and derisive <sighs> when he runs off. Because he has responsibilities. Yeah. And I yeah. think um, I think this also helps to showcase how important being part of the ton and being accepted to him is. Yeah. Um, his family's honor and reputation was something that was very important to him throughout the season. Mm-hmm. And he takes great pride in looking after them. And he needs someone who will share that life with him. And yeah. basically, I think that's why Sienna was there and ultimately why she has to go. Bye, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I totally agree with you. Um, I think that, uh, and especially about uh, Anthony's devotion to his family, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that came through loud and clear uh, in this episode or in this series. 
Um, and, you know, given, given the enticing little hints that you've given me, uh, I am really looking forward to seeing how the foundation of his character um, comes to life. Uh, not that he wasn't alive, but you know what I mean. Um, uh, how it springs forward in series two. How about another analogy? They've planted the seeds. <laughs> now yes. season two, it's time to harvest them. Exactly. <laughs> Let us reap the harvest. Reap. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, suddenly yes. turned into like a sermon. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh gosh. I guess another another character they've been sort of establishing that would be Benedict. Um mm-hmm. I don't I didn't really get his storyline until the last episode. As you know, I kept going, but where is this going? Um mm-hmm. he's just banging people. <laughs> he's not doing any drawing. Um, mm-hmm. and I think the last episode for me was where it all clicked into place. And I think they've highlighted how much Benedict is the complete opposite of Anthony. In that, <laughs> um, while Anthony sort of craves being in the ton and the respectability that that gives him, like as much as it crushes his self-esteem to like fulfill this role, I think yes. he, he that's his entire self-worth is built in like his reputation in the dawn benedict meanwhile <laughs> he's just out there like doing his own thing yeah he wants to <laughs> live outside of this oppressive social circle <laughs> and unlike anthony i think he really thrives in that environment and he can just be his dorky self oh yeah yeah I, he is he is enjoying second son benny's <laughs> All over the place, you know, and yeah, I think the the whole duel between uh, Anthony and Simon uh, was uh, uh, maybe a little bit of a wake up call um, that, you know, it's like if something happens to Anthony, then Benedict, this is you're next in line, son. And he was like, and, nope. Uh, nope, no, 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 <laughs> no, thank you, man. No, thank you. <laughs> enjoying my life thank you <laughs> oh gosh um another uh storyline that we need to talk about uh and i noticed that you just leapt over her oh yeah whoops that was just <laughs> on our uh our notes here is uh marina Freudian slip um uh, yeah <laughs> marina what can i say about marina <sighs> She came in, I didn't like her, she continued, still didn't really like her. She got worse progressively. Mm-hmm. The warm mist I felt towards her was as she was leaving. <laughs> That's um, <laughs> not a diss to the storyline, really, or the actress, who was fantastic. Yeah. But I just think she was designed to be kind of a foil in every respect to the story you've got her just like messing everything up for penelope she's like the way in which daphne recognizes her own failings like it's all just (sighs) oh marina you you happened and that's okay and and may we not see you again yeah although 
well, but she'd probably... I want to see her in a diminished capacity. Like, maybe it was just because it was so much Marina. Like, yeah. that was, it was a lot. Yeah. I think if we had less, it would have been... Well, no, they wouldn't have been able to serve the storyline. But it's still like, oh, God, I just... Sprinkle uh, her uh, in like a like seasoning, not as yeah. the main. Well, course. you know, her uh, appearance in this series reminds me of the appearance of another character in a series that we know and love and love to shake our fist at um, from time to time. Uh, Poldark, last season. But I still think uh, Elizabeth. We're obviously talking about Elizabeth. Okay, Elizabeth had a little bit more depth going into her villainous streak. Yeah. Marina was, like, because we did not know her very well, and what we did know of her was very one-dimensional, by the time she was acting villainous, it was hard to be like, oh, I see why she's doing this. It was just like, girl, get out of my face. Who even are you? You don't go here. (laughs) I'd rather see more prudence. Like, give me more prudence singing. Like, yeah. That was the vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> well, I was <laughs> I was actually thinking about Ned. Oh, Ned? <laughs> I don't see from a, how that's from a From a plot perspective, you know, how how the character of Ned became you know, such a huge part of the, you know, the, the lion's share of that series. Uh, it was like, why are you here? Why are you messing with my people? Go away. <laughs> <laughs> I think the uh, the feelings that they wrought in us were the same. And yet yes, very different stylistically. <laughs> very, very much so. Very, very much so. At least Ned was, like, fighting for the Irish cause or whatever and and slavery. I mean, Marina is just being a bit of a bitch to Penelope. (laughs) Uh, Also, you can't even say that Marina was just, like, doing what's best for her child. She doesn't give a Mm -hmm. shit about that baby. She tried to abort it. Like, come on. Yep, she did. So it's like... uh... Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Let okay, let us walk away from Marina. Bye Marina. Uh <laughs> bye. Um and our final storyline to do- kind of delve into is uh Eloise and Lady Whistledown. Oh, truly a flop of a storyline. <laughs> Just dumb. It started off promising. I mean, I get it. Um it- Yeah, it started off promising. It was sort of pathetic towards the end, though. Doesn't it? Wasn't it? Yeah. It didn't get a sense that Eloise had any grasp of, like, how the torn worked or what, yeah. what might motivate somebody to release a pamphlet like that. She mm-hmm. really was just stabbing blindly in the dark. Um, yeah. It was just, the, it just, you know, when the, the housemaid's like, you're supposed to be the smart one. Yes, yes. That's how I felt. I was just like, oh, honey, no. 
<laughs> I loved that in my rewatch. I laughed so hard. It's like, and you're supposed to be the smart one. Oh, man. God, it was hilarious. that really does not bode well for the rest of the siblings, does it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm hoping that Eloise has learned a valuable lesson about this, oh. uh, this whole thing. Um, because, you know, I think, I think for Eloise, you know, she was just interested in meeting and finding out who Lady Whistledown was because, uh, you know, clearly here is this woman who, um, you know, is, is showing no fear of, you know, the, what could wind up happening to her if found out, um, and, you know, kind of living this, this independent free life, that type of thing, you know, whereas the queen, the, the queen was getting ready to do some damage, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what Eloise realized that, you know, here's this person who's, you know, living this independent life and, and still, um, they are threatened with, uh, kind of a, a dire, future just for doing what they want to yeah i think she went into it very naively thinking that yeah. like everything was wonderful and then she sort of grew up and realized oh there are consequences to mm-hmm. being like this and i think there was so much hero worship she really romanticized the whole situation and it was funny watching Penelope react to some of her statements. Penelope was obviously like, "Oh wow, you really, you really, you really think that? that? What a life you've imagined for her! Wow!" And it's really just me sitting in my bedroom. <laughs> Excuse me a moment. I gotta go. I think um, that also this is part of just part of Eloise's learning curve. She hasn't even debuted. Like next season, she's yeah. gonna see what it's actually like out there. I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty terrible. Um, but not everybody is a dickhead. Look at Mr. Finch and yeah. the cheese and the and the romance oh, that God, bloomed so there. So so cute. Yeah. <laughs> but I hope next season, rather than focus on finding Lady Whistledunt, that she like starts to have to. It's hard to describe, but she really needs to sort of find her place in the society rather than just standing in the corner and grumble and looking for Lady Whistledown because I want to see her interact yeah. with people and like make connections in the ton. So mm-hmm. please no. no more Lady Whistledown mystery. No. Please. No. And speaking of Lady Whistledown. Penelope. <laughs> yes. Um our girl Penelope. So you went back and watched the first few episodes. What was it like? Yes. Did you like no- notice <laughs> Penelope watching? <laughs> Um, you know, I, I noticed, um, you know, those moments when, uh, she kind of would disappear or go away, um, and then a new sheet would come out. Um, so I noticed those moments, uh, a lot more. I too noticed, uh, how her reactions to Eloise and her quest for Lady Whistledown, uh, seemed to always come up with a, oh yeah, that's really interesting. Hmm. You notice <laughs> that I'm not providing you with any theories or information. I'm just smiling yes. and nodding and just being yes, a pure. Yes. Just like, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, 
And I know that, you know, you've said that the reveal of uh, Lady Whistledown doesn't happen until uh, later. Uh, I think I, I think I remember you saying it book four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, now I'm kind of wishing that they hadn't revealed it. Me too, because I think it just, um, yeah. it changes. It would have been cool to have that that mystery continue in the, the next series. I also think it just changes the whole dynamic of our relationship with Whistledown to know who she is so soon. Because you yeah. want to still be able mm-hmm. to, like, enjoy the secrets being spilled um, without being like, well, how did Penelope find that out? Like, you know, it just changes the whole yeah. thing. Um, and yeah. it also, like, knowing that people are trying to find her, especially the Queen, makes it all so different as well. Mm-hmm. It's not so much that I'm mm-hmm. worried about that because it is different from the book, but it could be just, like, I don't want Penelope's whole arc to be about being Lady Whistledown because she also has, like, so yeah. much else going on. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, um, so I thought we'd do, like, mm-hmm. some quick fire questions... To get through, uh, knowing how we talk, it won't be very quick. <laughs> but try to keep these answers short. First question: Imagine you're in like, what's that show where they sit in the chair and there's a sp- mastermind where they sit in the chair and yes, yeah. Okay. First question. Okay. Fave needle drop moment. Um, I loved uh, Billie Eilish. Ooh. <laughs> My favorite yeah. was Thank You Next because I screamed when it came on. I was like, <laughs> are we doing this, are we? It was the moment I realized they were doing modern songs as... <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, favorite episode? Episode five with the wedding and the wedding night. <laughs> it's a <laughs> self-contained little gem and also their sex. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. What about you? Um, I would have to say uh, probably five as well. So good. Okay. Um, oh yeah! I mean, God, rewatch it. It's like you can, you can, you can rewatch that episode by itself, and it's just its own little. It's like a little mm-hmm. movie of like angst yeah. turned to romance. Um. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Favorite character. Oh, Simon. <laughs> Mine is Anthony Bridgerton. Um, no, duh. Duh. but I just been, I've been waiting so long to see him on screen, and then Jonathan Bailey's so good. I was just like, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Favorite minor character: Prudence Featherington and her singing. What about you? Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really enjoyed. Um, I don't know if, if she's a. Uh, uh, a minor character, but um, the lady's maid. Rose. But I guess I, I, I really liked her. Okay, funniest moment. Mine is Prudence singing. <laughs> Just... Because oh. I still... Oh, dear. What about it? <laughs> like, <still laughs> trying, to, trying to get over that. I can't sing it as badly as her and it like, pisses oh, me off. Oh, gosh. Gosh. And you know, her dad, um, the actress's father, um, apparently has a decent voice as well. So, uh, or a decent voice. And I'm wondering if the same is true for uh, the actress that played uh, Prudence, 
because singing off key like that for someone who knows how to sing is very, very difficult. I mean, we, st- we, we have no choice but to stand, to be honest. Just Yes, yes. Um, I think, in all honesty, if I have to think back for a, a funny moment, um, that was that was the one that that made me laugh. Um, I I can't think of any others that were just like. What about when uh, Cressida fainted, and oh, yes, everybody's I, reaction was just Eloise was just like straight up, "What the hell is this?" And <laughs> and the Featheringtons were like. Cresta fainted. Frederick Gorter. <laughs> <laughs> and the the play by play, I think you know the the play by play with Simon and Daphne. I think during oh, that yeah. moment was anytime was pretty he, amusing she as well. snort laughed. Also, was actually really funny. Oh my yeah. god! Yes, yes, the snort laughing was hilarious. Okay, biggest tear jerk scene. Oh, Penelope crying in Eloise's arms. Oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, she was just devastated, just devastated for many reasons, I think. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, the the man that, that she has loved, I'm guessing, you know, for most of her life, um, you know, is is hooking up, not literally, but, you know, you know what I mean, with uh, Marina. Uh, but then the fact that she reveals that uh that marina is pregnant um she's she's got she's got too good of a heart not to now have mixed emotions about doing that so it it made the the crying um that much more poignant that episode the end of episode six is just a sobbing mess for me i'm like depressed on all fronts Mm -hmm. um Mm-hmm. Although I would have to say when um, Lady Featherington breaks down oh, yeah. after, you know, her husband's death, that was pretty intense. Uh, favorite line. Do you have any of this? Oh, God. Please say burn for you. Oh, yes. I burn for you. You can buy sweatshirts with that on from uh, Shondaland now. That is um, hilarious. And that was that was one of the moments in the Saturday Night Live appearance that <laughs> just had me howling. Um that whole that whole um, Oh, when he started singing whole... as well, I was like swoon. Yes, oh yeah. Oh yeah. But anyhow, yes, I burn for you. And I think it it's the delivery. It's like anytime he is speaking He's speaking from the heart um, is just a mega swoon moment. Well, it's really satisfying because he's so taciturn the rest of the time that when he does, yes. uh, it's like he's emotionally constipated and it all just blurts out of him in this intense and you're like, <laughs> oh, swoon. Well, well hmm, that's, a, that's an interesting visual, unfortunately. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so uh, thank you for that. Uh, my fa- <laughs> my favorite line is actually like not a line; it's two pieces of dialogue. It's when Penelope's like, "Mama, might I go play with Eloise?" and and then uh, Portia is like, "Got a biscuit in her mouth," and she's like, "A lady does not play, Penelope." <laughs> and I, <laughs> I'm always like. <laughs> 
so so I just love that this actress's Portia is just like gets Ugh. it. She's like she gets the innate hypocrisy of Portia, and it's beautiful. It always makes me laugh. Oh my gosh! I mean, you know, and I think that is a common trait um, with uh, Polly Walker and her um, her performances. You know, uh, like I said, the first time I saw her was uh, when she was in Rome. And, you know, that she played the hell out of her character. And I'm searching through the the list and it's like, where, where, where is it? Where is it? Um, but... Uh, she was in how far back was Rome? Oh my god, two thousand five. I was fifteen. <laughs> wow. But yeah, when she played uh Atia um of the Julii in Rome, she completely committed to that part. Wikipedia is telling me her performance earned her a Golden Globe nomination. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh it, it, she she was she was amazing. Um, and I hope that she winds up receiving some of the same accolades for her performance in Bridgerton. I hope Bridgerton just frickin' cleans up at the Emmys. I really do. That's, that's not talk about the Golden Globes or I will have a fit. Um, okay. A fave costume. Oh my gosh. No, this is, this is, I mean... Uh-huh. How do you pick? Well, I just p- decided to pick Daf- well, my favorite Daphne costume because I was just like, yeah, I just like I've got to narrow it down. Pick a person. Um, yeah, I have to narrow it down. Um, I'll go with Daphne because that's probably the mm-hmm. easiest. She had like over two hundred dresses or something ridiculous in the throne, and all of them were like almost blue. <laughs> yeah, the dress that she wore to the ball where she um accepted the prince's um affections the white and silver one um i've picked the same dress <laughs> yes you did <laughs> it, it was exquisite it was beautiful it was such a like bow oh. down bitches the queen is here moment mm-hmm. i think like yeah it, okay i'll pick a different one um the trow the trow bridge is that what trow bridge bull um you know with the with the little black bow around her waist and then she had that yes. black bow in her hair i was like mm-hmm. that's what it was reminding me of is like the in the 60s whenever they made those like attempts at period dramas but they would still make it incredibly like modish <laughs> um and also have you mm-hmm. seen funny girl with uh, barbara streisand like that was yes that was yes. like that was her whole vibe for that yes. ball, and I yes. thought it was just perfect for like her not her sort of like ba- breaking boundaries and like running out into that into that maze with Simon. I thought like, mm-hmm. oh, the sixties is like a good choice for that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I mean the the dress that Daphne wore, uh, the white and silver one. Yeah. You know that was the beading. The... <laughs> My God, that was the diamond of the season. You're damn right I'm the diamond of the season dress. <laughs> and also her wedding dress as well was so beautiful oh, yes. and the lace so work. Lovely. It just 
Yeah. Oh my god. We are stands of you the the costume department. Yeah, they better get awards. If they oh god, don't, yeah. I'm a cut a bitch. <laughs> because what 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 I love about this is that we're so excited about these costumes of a period that you can't stand. I know. <laughs> well, they're breaking all of the Regency period rules because, uh-huh. like, the Regency period was so drab and like everyone wore white all the time and mm-hmm. they all wore the same sort of cut and the same sort of embellishments and it was all about being as boring as possible really because it was all about the aesthetic was like getting back to nature and basics and yes yeah and it's like okay fine (laughs) but i don't watch a period drama to see some like basic straight dress that's why (laughs) that's why i freaked out about emma because i was like oh aesthetically it is beautiful like they went for colors they went for like materials that you don't usually see it was just great okay favorite location i was really impressed with cliveden um it's beautiful and it's fun to see a period drama drama featuring a gigantic estate and actually believe the owner could afford it um Mm -hmm. yeah that this is me side-eyeing mr darcy by the way everyone he cannot afford chatsworth no (laughs) Uh, I was going to say the thing, the same thing. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, the way that they uh, managed the, um, the sets for the kind of the rest of the show, like basically building out the, the, both the Featheringtons and the Bridgertons home on sets uh, still just kind of blows my mind. Um, But uh, Cliveden, good lord that was amazing and they really introduced you to it like through Mm -hmm. through her eyes those shot where she like looks up at the domed ceiling and is like oh damn that thing is gigantic (laughs) (laughs) yeah um okay favorite thing about the show i've already talked about my favorite thing about the show um the multicultural casting uh, so what is your favorite thing about the show? I think it's the prominence of the female gaze in the way that mm. they both, both the, how the show is written, because it's written with a lot of female writers and directors at its helm, they really push forward the narrative of like, this is a romance from a female's point of view. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. The things that she finds attractive about Simon are not just like how insanely attractive his body is. Um, yeah. It's how kind he is and, you know, how he listens to her and just how, fr- like, with the, when they're giggling together, there's always these intense mm-hmm. close ups of him, like, smiling at her and stuff. And you just mm-hmm. get the sense that this show really knows that its audience audience is predominantly female, what women actually want from their relationships on screen, and also just really um, embracing that as opposed to, like, making it something that they have to apologise for. Mm -hmm. It's been so refreshing. Obviously, we still got a lot lot of backlash from critics who think that this show is really superficial and that we're all just, like, 
crazy, thirsty fangirls <sighs> who just like are here for Reggae Jean Page. And that is obviously an aspect of this. <laughs> but it's it's more than that. The storytelling here is really amplifying Reggae's performance. And it's not just as much as I love Reggae, it's not just him. I think right. there's real nuance to him as a romantic lead. Yes, me too. Me too. And uh, he's also getting the double o- next 007 thing that seems to always, uh, thing that always seems to happen when you have these, you know, amazing uh, lead actors, uh, you know, beautiful lead actors. He would be so good. And <laughs> he he's would. like the right kind of age. Yeah. Like, I love Edris Elba. Um, and he's been getting the Are You the Next 007 thing since he was like 20. And now. <laughs> Now he's pushing 50, and it's like, honey, we need to start looking at the next generation, and yeah. reggae is the next generation yeah. of young yeah. British talent. And it's Yeah, like, he, could, he could really do it. He could yeah. really do it. Um, but uh, anyhow, so let's, let's get into season two. Yay! Okay, um, the second season of Bridgerton will focus on Anthony's romance, um, after the news was leaked by fans, i.e. my crew on Twitter, holla girls, hashtag we did it, I can't <laughs> believe it, <laughs> uh, Netflix then announced on February 15th that the actress Simone Ashley will play Kate Sharma. Now, that's a slight name change from the books where she's called Kate Sheffield, uh, the book character she's based on, but she is described as a smart headstrong young woman who suffers no fools anthony bridgerton very much included oh my gosh awesome (laughs) and of course she is a desi actress we're getting more representation people like i'm so so happy one of the things i did note at the while i was watching like the first episode of bridgerton was the complete lack of any kind of indian people i was like because the racial makeup of england is how is that yeah how is that possible exactly the (laughs) racial makeup of england is so different from what is portrayed on bridgerton where we're just seeing black and white people and i'm like that's a bit weird i think we have a larger uh population of yeah of asians than we do black people in this country Mm. so it would have been i was like this is a bit odd i'll just (laughs) Go with it. Um, and the fact that they've noticed this and took pains to... <laughs> they've gone, oops, and... <laughs> well, I think it's maybe they were planning this all along and I just didn't realise, but um, it's just so great. I'm so happy and I think mm-hmm. it's going gonna, it's gonna to change the character slightly, but for the in the best way as possible because it's going to make so many little brown girls happy. They can see themselves... Yeah in the show in a way that they've they've not and that's so good i'm so happy and obviously like i am an anthony fangirl and like to have him fall in love with somebody who is going to kick his butt is just (laughs) the dream oh gosh well i'm looking forward to experiencing uh the next um part of bridgerton uh, from the same perspective as I did this one. Um, I will not read the books. 
Um, and uh, I mean, I'll read the first one since, you know, we've done that one, but, that. uh, um, I will, I will refrain from reading book two so that I can enjoy it with fresh, 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 fresh eyes. And what are you looking forward to in terms of the other characters? Because I know like some people have been like, oh, I'm not going to watch it if it's not about Simon and Daphne. And I'm like, Simon uh, and Daphne will still be there. <laughs> Like, yeah, it, it it no, I I think I'm ready to see some of the the other actors uh step further into uh their parts, their characters uh and continue to build upon their uh multidimensionality. Um, you know, and and to be honest, I'm looking forward to seeing uh Simon and Daphne doing the same. You know, it's like they mm-hmm. will have been married for um, uh, a bit of time and, you know, their lives are going to change as well, uh, given, you know, the, the revelations that will come to them, um, you know, now that they are in this, uh, 100% honest relationship. Um, but we, we don't have to delve into that. That'll be nice to see that happening in the background. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, how they manage this whole Penelope is Lady Whistledown thing. Yeah. Um, and hoping that they, I'm, I'm hoping that they have a vision <laughs> of what that reveal uh, in the series one um, is going to do for Penelope's character as she continues to develop as well. Yeah, me too. I think, as much as I sometimes worry, I then like learn things about some of the stuff going on behind the scenes that makes me like, oh, well, they've really thought this through and they have plans. Mm-hmm. And that's just what you want from a yeah. story. I really enjoy the fact that we're going to delve into different couples each season because I think, mm-hmm. not to mention Poldark again, but what can happen <laughs> is after you have a couple get together is that you now have to then build so much drama drama to keep, yeah to sustain the plot and then it just ends up having to become like real messy and what yeah. we get is like all the fun bits of people like falling in love and getting married and then figuring some mm-hmm. stuff out about themselves and all of that and then like they're together and now we can focus on another people and you can sort of dip mm-hmm. back in but they're not gonna be like in some horrifically troubled like love triangle you can just yes. enjoy the fact that they're together and be cute mm-hmm. it's just yes. why haven't more people done this <laughs> anyhow let's not think well, about we, we will have that to look forward to and hopefully we won't wind up having to wait almost two years for it okay don't, don't, don't even mention the, the filming schedule because I'm. Hey, I will cry. Just saying about how long it's going to take. Saying. Oh, anyway. <sighs> so next, we're going to go to an incredibly long inbox section. Um, Holy crap! Yeah. I'm just reading through all. Oh, oh, lord! Uh, buckle in, people. Yeah, people. Um, we got a lot, and I didn't want to cut. <laughs> I have edited some bits out, but that some of the some of these emails are so fantastic that I was like, I can't, I can't edit this. Um, so I'm real <laughs> sorry. I had a policy that for the podcast scripts, I would try and keep it to under ten pages. 
This one's 17 pages long, and most oh, of it is questions. Yes. Yes. First one was from Tumblr. Yes, uh, from uh, Nani. So thank you, Nani. What happened to the necklace that Prince Friedrich gave Daphne? At the ball, she runs outside to the terrace, rips the necklace off, puts it on the ledge, has it out with Simon, then runs into the garden, leaving the necklace on the brick terrace. Does she grab it back on the way, or does she grab it on the way back into the ball? On first viewing, I fully expected Prince Friedrich to come out onto the terrace and find the necklace. Then I thought he would be the one to find Simon and Daphne in the garden. You know, that was one of the first questions I had when in that scene where she takes the necklace off and then she goes, you know, harrying off down to the stairs was, you don't wind up taking a, a, a necklace that full of diamonds off and then just leave it. I'm imagining that there is some servant out there who found it, like a gardener the next morning was like, oh, what's this? And now they're going off to start some magical life, living <laughs> off that necklace. The proceeds, yeah. yes, yes. Spin-off opportunity there if anybody wants it. <laughs> oh, but I'm glad Prince Friedrich was not the one to discover Simon and Daphne. Um, and that... Became he would have been guy. way chiller about it than Anthony. God. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, Definitely. So our next question was from our own little fairy tale. They said, hey, Michelle and Rita, just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to create this fan cast. I love it. Your witty commentary is keeping me smiling through the never ending hell. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's interesting hearing the views of someone who has read the books versus a new audience how things differ between the books and the TV show. I also feel that the opera singer who shall not be named is your new Drake Khan. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I like her a lot more than Drake Khan. Um, yeah. <laughs> I share Rita's love for Anthony. I mean, who wouldn't? And I'm looking yeah. forward to this reaching a new level in your season two episodes. Take care and stay safe. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, I know Rita is going to be just all in when it comes to series two. I mean, I can barely contain myself. I want to tell you <laughs> everything, Michelle. It's so good. Anyway. <laughs> so uh, we had another email um, and they started in writing about the first season of Bridgerton and what I might anticipate for the second season. I should mention that I have not read any of the books. So these thoughts are purely speculative on my part. Concerning the reveal that Penelope is Lady Whistledown, I think there is more that, that we will learn about Lady Whistledown in season two. Again, when you watch each episode of season one, Pen is at every social event which makes its way into print, except perhaps for the fastest courtship on record, which took place in 1804, which Lady Whistledown describes at the start of episode eight. And if we are to believe that Penelope was aware of the events of 1804, she would have been all of nine years old, question mark. <laughs> also, the storyline between Colin and Marina was something only Penn and the Featherington family knew about. But paying for the publication of this almost daily Whistledown newsletter costs money. And where would Penn have the financial means to cover the costs, especially since we know Baron Featherington had gambled away his daughter's diaries? So I think Judy Andrews' voice will be a reassuring presence again in season two. 
I actually know about the mechanics of how she is <laughs> publishing this because it's in the book. No. Everyone, if you can and you're not Michelle, go out and read the fourth <laughs> book. Well, damn. And the way she actually um, gets the the her writing into the hands of her publisher is actually a lot smarter in the in the book she has a whole hiding system in this show she just like rides on up to the publisher every day yeah (laughs) that's so dumb (sighs) anyway in a dark hooded cloak full of mystery is she in her father's carriage as well because that would be so dumb anyway the email continued finally when one picks a part that anthony's what Anthony said to Simon and Daphne about his summer to come, with the, fam- with the family gathered to bid Colin farewell to Greece, I thought that Anthony was expressing for himself what appeared to be the success of Simon, Simon and Daphne's ruse, that a courtship based on friendship and not the pressure of one having to fall in love immediately with the other would result in Anthony finding his Viscountess. Of course, his remark also showed how he filtered them through his conversations with Simon just before his WWE smackdown at the club, (laughs) and also his broken heart over the dissolution of his relationship with Sienna. As Anthony remarked, quote, I finally determined the difficulty, love itself, removing it from all romantic relations shall make me all the better for it. No more distractions from responsibility or being waylaid from the sensible path. Ah, Anthony, season two awaits. (laughs) in closing ladies i want to say i loved hearing your remarks about the presence of a bee in the opening sequence of episode one on and on benedict's collar eloise's hair clips and fluttering around at the end of episode eight while i don't understand (laughs) their significance it's fun to see the motif carried through the episodes which i know one day will be revealed and i also loved your remarks rita about how at the start of daphne and simon's attachment she wore blue and he wore red and now by episode eight at their season ending ball they were wearing shades of red and blue blending into purple lovely You both give such depth to what ordinarily would be simply exquisite Netflix production. Thank you both. Cheers. And that's from Jean. Hey, Jean. Oh, thank you, Jean. What a lovely email. I know. They're all being so nice. I I I was like, you know, last (laughs) week when I was like, please don't send in nice gushing emails. Yes. They all took that to heart and decided to (laughs) troll me. Let's make Rita uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, here is another one. Uh, hi, fabulous fancasters. Season one thoughts. Good stuff. Costumes, music, actors, Penelope, Lady Danbury, new characters. Yes, all of them. Even Marina and Sienna. I know you guys didn't care for either of these characters, but I think they gave us more background for Anthony and Colin. For Anthony, we needed to see that he is a rake, notice capital R, see the second book where L.W. defines capital R rake as a guy who messes with the non-lady ladies, but not the lady ladies. Not the lady ladies. (laughs) Yes. Uh, We need to not like him, and I think non-book readers really don't like him. For Colin, we get to see that he wants to fall in love and do the family thing. He's not really interested in being a rake, but he is young and still has things to learn. Not so good stuff. 
Uh, I didn't really care for Eloise's story about trying to figure out who Lady Whistledown is. I think it's too early for that. And I don't want to sit through three more seasons of her trying to figure it out when it's right under her nose. I loved Eloise otherwise, and especially her late night talks with Benedict. The Marina storyline, I think, was partly to redeem Daphne. There were other ways to redeem Daphne, see bad stuff. Also, this is not necessarily bad, but the Marina storyline leaves questions for book readers regarding Sir Philip. I guess it will be interesting how they resolve all that. Bad stuff. Well, you know, that scene. I reread the book again after watching it, and I'm not sure they made it better than the book. At least in the book, Daphne tries to talk to Simon about it before she assaults him. If we just got an apology from Daphne, did we get that? <laughs> no, uh, we didn't. Nah, we didn't. Overall rating, 4.9999 for the season. It was a nice compliment to the book. You can go and read the book and enjoy it because it gives the inner thoughts of Simon and Daphne. Season question or season two questions for you. How much Simon and Daphne do you think we need and how much do you think we are going to get? I see a lot of chatter about how much people love Simon and want to continue focusing on him. I love Ray J, but I hope we can focus on Anthony and Kate. I think it would be great if Anthony uses Simon to express some of his inner thoughts, kind of like how Will was used for Simon. That would be hmm, great. That's a good, yeah, I think that would be wonderful. They just cast Kate. Thoughts? She looks beautiful, and I think it is great they are going for more diversity. The key will be if she has chemistry with Anthony. It's hard to believe any female, and probably some males, could not. Um, I, uh. The other day, Julia Quinn um, did a Instagram Live where she talked about how they cast her, and she said mm-hmm. that like when she saw the audition tapes, she was blown away by the chemistry, oh, wow. which makes me really happy, but also just like intensely annoyed that I can't see the tapes. Show me the tapes. Yes, we need the tapes. We need the tapes. Uh, let's see. I have high hopes for season two to be better than season one. Hope I didn't just jinx it. Yeah. I've been disappointed a lot of season two, three, uh, four after loving a season one. I'm looking at you, Poldark, and Downton Abbey. Joining you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the one thing I think Bridgerton has going for it uh, that those two other shows didn't is that we have a new couple to focus on each season. So if Ray J wants to pull a Dan Stevens, we don't have to kill him off. We can He can just show up once a season and there will always be a new couple to ship. The Poldark books had that to some degree. Carolite was good. Morwenna Drake, not so much. <laughs> But it was hard to match the chemistry and, or the intensity of Romelza. Preach it. Um, I think Anthony and Kate have the potential to match Simon and Daphne intensity. Speaking of Poldark, I don't remember how you reacted to that scene in season two. But if you feel like comparing it to how it was handled versus how they handled the scene in Bridgerton, um, I think you were disappointed in how the aftermath was handled. We never really got an apology from Ross, did we? And they tried to redeem him by showing him as a swashbuckling hero. Didn't work for me. The book handled the aftermath much better. Well, I better stop. Thanks for reading. Keep on podcasting. Carol, a.k.a. Love Me, a period drama. Hey, girl. Thank you, Carol. Uh, I remember recording that particular (laughs) episode of the Poldark fancast because I was so nervous. (laughs) 
It was like we did two episodes because on that. Just or, so on, much drama on going that. on. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, and I I remember how worried um, I think we both were um, when it came time to record that episode. Um, but I think it it wound up I think it wound up coming out to being one of our our best. Um, Agreed, and considering it was like one of the first podcasts we ever put out, and it was such a heavy yeah, topic. Yeah. I feel much mm-hmm. more confident about talking about the subject now than I did back then. Um, yeah. But just generally, I think both these shows didn't handle it brilliantly. <laughs> that's uh, no. that's my hot take right there. But I think, honestly, Poldark handled it in a slightly more problematic way because mm-hmm. I think it was just played more as like, this is consensual. Where at least I think Bridgerton has the awareness that this was not an okay action for her to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. troubling. <laughs> okay. Oh, and uh, one one last thing. Um, you know, the the lack of apology by Ross to Demelza about what occurred. Uh I mean that wound up being kind of one of the the, the biggest mistakes. Uh, that I think uh, the uh, Poldark team handled or uh, made when it came to handling uh, the incident. Because, you know, obviously, hashtag in the books, um, you know, we've talked about how Ross does actively apologize. He actually says, I'm sorry. Know, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, and apologizes for his behavior and, and what he did and what he put Demelza through. Um, and, you know, I know that it was omitted in order to, uh, continue the whole, uh, Elizabeth isn't all that bad thing. Um, I think it was also partly to create lasting drama and conflict in their marriage. Oh, absolutely. But ultimately, don't you feel like it did more damage to Ross's character than it did to their marriage? Yes. Yes, I do. And that's what I, I think is sort of happening with Bridgerton is that a lot of people love Simon and Daphne, but a lot of other people reacted in a really negative way to what she did. And because they never had a conclusion to it, you know, there's no place for that resentment to go other than just to be like, well, I don't like her. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And to just simmer there. (sighs) Understandable. Okay. So (laughs) another email. (laughs) it's gonna you guys there's a lot of this we're not even halfway there okay dear reader and michelle (laughs) i've composed in my head a lot of emails to you over the years and have now finally managed to actually contact you a cheery hello (laughs) and thank you from sydney australia Having just listened to Rita mention in your latest podcast how much you love soppy declarations of how great you are from the fans, <laughs> I think there might be a little more of that coming your way. <laughs> You're both amazing. Oh, God. Okay. So I'm a long-time Poldark fancast fangirl and was so excited that you were stepping into a Bridgerton podcast. Your podcasts bring me a lot of joy, and it feels like I know you even though we've never met. Possibly sounds creepy, but please take it in the 
said as the heartfelt thank you from the other side of the world that it is intended as. Your efforts to continue to make your podcasts, including your period drama series during 2020, has been a great comfort to a horrible and challenging 2020. Knowing that your experience in the UK and US has been way more intense than mine in Sydney. Hey, but you guys had a serious actual lockdown, so (laughs) you're doing okay. Um... You mm-hmm. always say something that makes me smile, nod in agreement, or chuckle out loud. I was a late comer to Bridgerton. Um, how did I not know about Julia Quinn? Question <laughs> mark. And read the first book before finally watching Bridgerton over two days with three friends in late January. What a cracker! Amazing actors, great writing, lavish costumes and set, and a super fast-paced plot. What isn't there to like, other than the artificial flowers? Oh, God. (laughs) I'm so in awe that you decided on a delayed gratification approach of recording the podcast after each episode. And I'm even more impressed that you stuck with that for eight episodes. I hope you enjoy your binge rewatch or three. (laughs) I was pretty skeptical when I heard there would be new characters introduced in the series. But I feel that the introduction of royalty, Baron Featherington and poor cousin Marina had greater depth, repetition and variety to the palette that the writers can then work with. For example, for the Queen, it sets up Daphne's story very quickly as the diamond of the season, her failure to attract suitors and proposals and reinforces the impact of Lady Whistledown's society papers with the cut through of her writing on the Queen. For Marina, it reinforces some of the other plot points such as the Penelope and Eloise Uh, not just Daphne, have no clue about sex, (laughs) society's Mm -hmm. reaction to well-bred women who were pregnant outside of marriage, what the options were for unmarried well-bred women, as well as giving insight into Lady Featherington's character, such as the fake letter. For me, the Baron was the least interesting of the three, but did set up a riches to relative rags angle that set up Philippa's cheese man disappearing and then reappearing, Uh, that there may have been financial reasons why the Baron was hosting Marina rather than sending her home, the fixing of the boxing match and Will's set down of the Duke, and the speculation about what is going to happen to the Featheringtons in Season 2. Like Michelle said, there could be a Mr. Collins waiting round the corner. (laughs) Will Penelope still live in London? Will Lady Whistledown continue to be able to move in the first circles and deliver her gossips? Um, My friends did laugh when I reflected that in the books, as Michelle would say, (laughs) Simon has more depth because uh, considerable time is spent in setting up just how awful his father is and the physical and emotional damage that comes from that. Their amused reply to me was that they didn't think that was a problem at all as audible sigh. (laughs) Simon doesn't really need any depth in order to get their attention on screen. (laughs) Point taken. While I think the flashbacks showed Simon's history, the quick emotional resolution of it on the screen reminded me of the Drake Morwenna, I've given up my child now. (laughs) Now I can sleep with you, moment from (laughs) Poldark. Which was not a positive memory. (laughs) No! No, that was honestly in five seasons of Poldark, probably one of the worst (laughs) conclusions to a storyline you will ever see. Yep. Yep. Also, my recollection, uh, spoiler alert, Michelle, if you haven't read The Duke and I yet, uh, that was hashtag in the book, Simon left Daphne after his stutter returned. Yeah, his, his 
after Daphne assaults him, he starts stuttering, and then he's so oh ashamed. Gosh. He's like, in the moment, he's like, "I've got to leave." Anyway, um. <laughs> oh wow! Oh, I look, I look forward to that. For me, that had a very strong emotional impact in demonstrating what a very traumatized and damaged person Simon still was when dealing with his emotions. Quite independently of my reaction to the "I'm not having children" storyline. Oh, for realsies. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I could keep on writing about topics such as Daphne's forced sex with Simon, which I actually found pretty troubling in today's world with so many warped ideas about consent or coercion. I had to try to rationalize that it was essential to Daphne's reclaiming of her sexual awareness and further development of the Simon and Daphne storyline. But I'm still not feeling very comfortable about any of that, and I'm still very angry with Daphne. I don't think a gender role reversal makes it any less okay. We agree heartily with you. <laughs> I'm really hoping that a Bridgerton Book Club podcast is on the cards for you. I would also be really interested to hear you discuss other romance writers that you would recommend. Sorry if you have already done this through your social media. I'm not much of a social media girl. Thank you for your generous call out to other Bridgerton podcasts as I have already uh, as I have, I have enjoyed hearing their views. You're all bringing different perspectives, focusing on different angles, and coming to Bridgerton from different backgrounds, but you will always be number one. <laughs> Thank you so much for all of your time and effort you put into preparing, recording, and editing your podcasts. I miss everything else that you do, and for also reading random emailed thoughts from ordinary people <laughs> like me. This email became far longer than I intended, but it was fun to reminisce with you, all the best to you both and wishing you many happy pod years ahead, Melinda. Oh, oh my god, Melinda. Melinda. <laughs> You're a new favorite person, Melinda. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you. That was so nice. Um, oh. Again, I'm still not comfortable with it. Um, <laughs> I think I agree with absolutely everything. How do you feel about talking about the book after you've read it? We could just do like one podcast, not the longest book in the Mm -hmm. world to break it down into chapters would be absolutely an insane undertaking if you ask me (laughs) okay sounds good but yeah i i would love to do a um book club on this because i'm looking i'm looking forward to those little things that didn't make it into the show um and uh things that i wish had made it into the show like i wish that uh they had uh, included a moment where uh, Simon's stutter returned um, yeah. because I think that that would have just added to uh, his his character um, you know all right another email um, I binged Bridgerton on Netflix in two days <laughs> then I listened to all eight books in order <laughs> on audio since I found that the physical books were on back order since I watched the show before reading the books, I was a little surprised to find out that Penelope was Lady Whistledown, but not shocked. Before reading the books, I was convinced that she was not working alone, and there must be a few Lady Whistledowns. I loved, loved, loved that they cast Julie Andrews as the voice of Lady Whistledown. I think it. I think that may have been the voice, and by and oh, let me try that again. I think that may have been. The voice and the way that Penelope feels inside. She, she feels like an old sassy lady, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. I sometimes feel like that too, so yeah, fair. Yes. 
Um, I also wondered who would inherit Featherington's estate. I think that Penelope will start secretly giving some of her Lady Whistledown money to her mother and sisters. Hmm. I keep rereading a line from Eloise's book on how she needed to find someone of the correct gender, which I predict part of the reason she was determined to remain a spinster was because she was not attracted to men. I would love the show to explore her sexuality in upcoming seasons. I love your podcast. Keep up the great work, ladies. Self-proclaimed Bridgerton fangirl and bee lover, even though I'm allergic. <laughs> Ella B. from Illinois, U.S. of A. Thank you, Ella. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That would be kind of cool if, if we had a moment to explore uh, sexuality. I mean... You know, they've they've delved a little tiny itty bitty bit into that um, with Benedict and his um, antics. Um, But I I think that would be really cool. I don't foresee them choosing any of the Bridgertons to maybe do that with. um, Mm -hmm. Because I think it would be really weird to buy a group of... Like, imagine if you're Netflix and you've bought the this book series and you're also, like, I imagine they have some kind of publishing deal where they put the little sticker on, like, as seen on Netflix, and they get a cut of the... Yeah. And you're, you're like, you've made Eloise gay <laughs> in the show, and then <laughs> people go to buy the book, and she's, spoiler alert, not gay in the book. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. that's going to be really weird for people. Um, so I just, I, I know that it's a popular, like, fan theory that Eloise is gay, but guys, lower your expectations! Um. <laughs> Wise words. Okay, so uh, next email. Hey guys, thanks for putting out so uh, such a great podcast. Uh, like you two, I have been loving Bridgerton and really appreciate and enjoy listening to your in-depth reviews. I have some strong feelings on the more traveling aspects of episode six. I mean, who doesn't, baby? <laughs> we, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I hope everybody does. Yeah. But So I thought I'd throw my two cents in. I found it troubling when people characterize Daphne as hard to sympathize with and as the primary tra- transgressor in her relationship with Simon when she herself was assaulted. Rape by deception slash fraud when the perpetrator obtains the victim's consent to engage in sexual relations relations through false statements or actions is a very real offence. I've seen romanticizings of Simon seemingly obtaining consent in the wedding night scene, but revisiting it, I find it a bit tainted. When he was very thoughtful, gentle, I think it's notable that if Daphne had full knowledge of his ability, but unwillingness to have children, she may not have consented to having sex with him. Then, or the additional times going forward. I find it difficult then to say she gave fully informed consent. I did not view her withdrawing from Simon after learning the truth as sulking or plotting or being immature, but as someone coming to terms with the fact that what they thought was a consensual relationship was actually not. That is violating and traumatising, and I think it is valid for someone to feel violated and traumatised in the wake of it. I find it additionally troubling that people brush off Simon's assault of Daphne as him not being good at communicating. I do not think that justifies the assault. Note. I'm not saying Daphne's assault justifies her then assaulting her assaulter. 
but I view the plot point as not being about a one-way assault of Simon by Daphne, but about how the social pressures put on the men in, in Simon's position and the state of submission and naivety women in Daphne's class of captain leads two people who love each other to commit transgressive actions against each other. I speculate that because Daphne's violation of Simon was more visual and in the moment, it disturbed and was noticed by viewers more. However, I find the subtler, longer-term violation of Daphne's equally disturbing and people's dismissiveness, disregard for it quite upsetting. Finally, there's a lot of sympathy put into Simon's childhood trauma and how it shapes his bad actions and decisions, but nowhere near as equal sympathy for Daphne's. Again, I think this is because Simon's abusive relationship with his father was less subtle. Daphne's having a big, happy family in comparison to Simon's stark aloneness makes his tr her trauma and anxiety less noticeable. But throughout the series, Daphne's voice that voices that being a wife and a mother is all she was raised for. Slash worth. At one point, when talking to Anthony, she says if she can't find a husband, she will be nothing. That's some, that's some pretty dark shit. Additionally, we see Daphne's life being subject to the choices of the men around her, to Anthony and to the men who she needs to choose her as a wife. During her fight with Simon, she says, you chose this. She had thought that them not having children had been them accepting an unchangeable circumstance together, only to find out that it was another instance of a man in her life making a unilateral choice and subjecting her to it. For those reasons, I'm sympathetic to Daphne. I'm neither Team Simon or Team Daphne in the matter, but rather Team Daphne and Simon, as I think that their problems are not insurmountable. Ultimately, I think they're both equally culpable and equally sympathetic in the breakdown of their marriage. This is stupidly long, and I could probably go on forever, but so thanks for, for providing a forum for discussion. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that was, um, Really well written and mm -hmm. just a lot to take in. I think. Yeah. I'm gonna just be honest here and come in like I have biases. Everybody has biases, um, and I think as somebody who desperately doesn't want children, my instinct is always to be like completely horrified at the thought of someone doing what Daphne did. But you make an excellent case for the fact that what Simon did was just as worse. Yeah, uh, I I totally agree. Um, you know, I think that uh, I'm not going to say anymore because the person who sent the email said it so eloquently. Yeah. <laughs> I'm um, like, do you want to take over the podcast? Because uh... yeah, because God, you you just did a really great job of what we kind of bumbled our way yeah. through. Um, but uh, God, thank you so much for for sharing your thoughts. And thanks for everybody who, who wrote in, because it is such a mm -hmm. tough topic. And we all ha come from it from different angles, and it's really good to have, like, just to be able to talk about this. Uh, next email. Hello, ladies. I love your podcast, and thank you for making the sacrifice of recording each podcast before you watch the next episode. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> it was hard. It was hard. Um, I had a thought to share about Daphne's assault on Simon. I have only seen the show without reading the books. The way she tricks him into completing inside her is inexcusable and rape adjacent, if not fully rape. I see only one mitigating factor I wanted to share. 
Even after speaking with Rose, Daphne did not want to believe that Simon was deceiving her. She might have held out hope that he would not react when she prevented him from pulling out. And she would discover that she had been mistaken about suspecting his deception. Should she have talked to him instead of raping him? Hell yes. Thanks, Kat. That's an interesting point. Yes. So you're seeing it as her checking. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Just like double checking, just making sure my assertion. Mm -hmm. Now Now that I've learned what actually needs to happen in order to conceive children... I just want to check to see if that is indeed the case. Uh, That's very interesting. I had not thought of that. So thanks for pointing that out, Kat. Um, Yeah. I'm not sure it justifies it, but it's interesting. No. Yeah. Yes. Um, Another email. Hello, ladies. I'd like to say that I adore Bridgerton and your podcast. That's all. You're lovely. More importantly, I must demand you discuss the Bridgerton musical being developed by what? Emily Bear and Abigail Barlow. If you haven't already heard of it, you must look it up. Anyways, I hope you will take my suggestions to heart. Have a splendid week. The TikTok what? musical. Yeah, okay. So on TikTok, an app I do not go on, there yeah. is two amazing, beautiful women started developing a musical that, honestly, guys, when this started blowing up i could not watch it because it was spoilery (laughs) ah so i did not watch it um also it's on tiktok and i'm over 30 now so (laughs) Um, not an app i understand if you if somebody could like send me the links it's not on tiktok like on a like a youtube video would be ideal um that would be uh, that would be ideal we'll watch it um, we'll probably be like, this is the greatest thing ever. Um, uh-huh. Lots of, there were loads of articles about it when it first blew up. Um, wow. Okay. Next email. Hello, ladies. I wanted to know your opinion on Colin's involvement with Anthony's storyline. Do you think the show is going to stay faithful to the books and keep Colin as the one who introduces them or let this roll uh, to Daff and Simon? I read somewhere that the couple's going to play quite a big role in Anthony's love story. And as much as I like the idea, I'd rather stick with Colin and his renowned matchmaking skills. Just to interject here, by the way, Colin sets up absolutely almost everybody <laughs> with their love Seriously? He just sort of, just like, saunters wow. on over and is like, hey, by the way, have you seen this chick? You might want to talk to them. <laughs> and then they get not married. And like that happens in almost all of the books. <laughs> Goodness. So Colin got all of the matchmaking um, mojo that Emma uh, clearly didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like Violet thinks that she's the matchmaker of the family. And then Colin's out here mm-hmm. pulling all the strings, making it all happen. Anyway. Wow. Continue. Okay. I'd rather stick with Colin and his renowned, uh, renowned matchmaking skills, conveying the devil may care attitude we love and need for his character development. Plus, Kate and Colin's interactions are too iconic. Thing is, I don't know if he'll be back in episode one or later because of his travels. Either way, I'm hoping to see him in all eight episodes, all grown, mature, funny, and charming, and sexy with a beard. With a beard, please. I also Have you wonder... seen photos of him with a beard? Ah! No. So handsome. Oh, oh okay. Whew. Let's see. I wonder if we'll get to see him behaving like a rake or sexy... Uh, f- for sexy purposes, since it surely, since it'll surely be obvious that he won't be much 
green anymore after his comeback. <laughs> Colin must have made some pretty steamy encounters in Greece and Cyprus. Oh. <laughs> LMAO. One thing for sure, Pan will probably explode with passion. LOL. And so will Colin, through, though a bit later. I mean, our dear Penelope gaining confidence day by day. There's no way he's left indifferent to her personality and stunning beauty. I'm particularly looking forward to their friendship and the sexual tension coming from their adorable exchanges and dances. Anyway, sorry for the long message. Um, that's the Bridgerton HR effect right here. <laughs> Keep up the good work. And the positive vibes, lady. You're doing amazing. Winky face from France with love. XOXO. Ode? Oh. Ode? <laughs> Ode? I'm sorry we butchered your name, Ode. <laughs> you would never know I took so much French as, you know, I got in my early years. I got a star at GCSE and look at me now, bitches. I can't yeah. pronounce anything. I'm, I'm yeah. as always, very sorry for the British like mm -hmm. really bad. I want Colin to just gradually realize that Penelope is smoking hot. Like that's the yeah. Like come on, dude. Like she's smoking hot, mm -hmm. and she's standing right there. She's right in front right of there. you. Right in front of you. And he's like, "Oh, we're such good friends, Penelope. Oh, you're so nice to me." And she's just like, oh. "Come on, dude, dude." <sighs> okay, I'm looking for pictures of the beard. Yeah, on his Instagram, he's posted some. Um, videos of him singing. I suggest watching that if you want to cry. Um, he sings yellow. <laughs> so perfect considering uh, that's Penelope's least favourite colour. Um. <laughs> um, is he under his yeah, name? So it's Luke Newton UK. Ooh! Isn't it like, it's a Hello. different look. I think it would be great for yeah. like, him to come back from his travels and he's like Oh, I'm sophisticated and European now. And I have a beard. Yes. <laughs> and Penelope's just like, swoon. Yeah, exactly. It just does a great big giant swoon moment. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Agreed. agreed. We're, we're all okay. agreed. Yes, please take the beard into the season. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we say goodbye at the end of this overly long podcast, I want to thank every <laughs> listener for sticking with us even though we had no idea what was happening in the next episode and you had all seen it. <laughs> like, what are these people talking about? Uh, everyone who wrote in and who wrote a review and rated us, it's heartening to see this podcast grow over the past few months. We've had so many nice words. And as I said, mm -hmm. it's, I'm very uncomfortable with it, so let's move on. Um, <laughs> I mostly created this podcast... So that I could chat to Michelle about this show. And you're a trooper, Michelle, for getting up <laughs> at 5am every Tuesday to record this. And, like, not watching the next episode, you're like a literal angel. Um, but it's also just been really fun to meet new fans. And we've built this little tiny community of Bridgerton hysterics on Twitter. So everybody follow us. Yes. We are uncovering daily news about filming. Um, <laughs> yesterday... We realized that the the show's creator is in London, and then we that sent us down a rabbit hole of trying to work out the timeline. <laughs> like, how pregnant is Daphne? Does this make sense? <laughs> and this kind of stuff happens like every day, and it's tragic and it's really funny. Um, okay, so during the endless wait for season two, other than my tweeting, um, <laughs> we will be back 
to Podoc Fancast if you want to listen to us. That's our regular day job. <laughs> we'll be doing uh, commentary tracks for season one. Yes. So if you're looking for a period drama to fill the void or you miss us, just just Google Podoc Fancast and you can watch the show with us and we will be screaming like, oh my god, this is really good! <laughs> because that's literally the only good season of that show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're everywhere at Bridgerton Fancast or at Podoc Fancast. Um, thank you for listening and we will see you for season two. Yes. I guess bye. I'm so sad. Bye. I know, I know. Bye, everybody. We'll miss you.